Welcome to Social Workers Break Room. This is Imelda. And I'm still Jennifer. Still Jennifer. Yeah, the shape shifting didn't quite work Same out. as last week. Yeah. Cool. This week, we bring you the Women's March Movement, how you can get involved, and local organizing. Stay with us. Okay. All right. So what are we talking about today, Jennifer? Today, we're going to unpack a little bit of the Women's March, uh, which recently we had our local one here um, in Phoenix. And we are privileged enough as every week to have Amelda here with us, um, who is on the committee and was part of it. So a little bit of, you know, kind of a footnote for today in this episode, there's a lot to unpack with feminism. And not only as individuals, uh, Imelda and I can't be all knowing our histories, you know, the movement's current existence. It, it can't be fully unpacked and it's deeply intersected with what's happened to black and brown bodies through colonization. So if you have feelings throughout this, while we are therapists, we're not your therapists. Um, <laughs> and we highly encourage you talking about these things, especially with either a paid professional or even people in your circle, as long as you've set boundaries with them or asked about their emotional bandwidth you know, before you come in, especially with a heavy topic or a topic that might be deeply intersected with them or their trauma history. So as we unpack a small piece of this movement, the Women's March, what is it? Well, and and just keep in mind that we are talking about this subject and the Women's March topic from our personal perspective, right. you know, from um, not necessarily speaking on behalf of the National Women's March movement or any other coalition that has been formed. So this is, uh, a, a, you know, disclaimer just to let everyone know that we're just speaking from our experience and what we have seen here locally in the Phoenix community. <clears throat> but I feel that um, the overall, the the Women's March started from the results from the 2016 election, not only because there was this discontent with the results, but also with what those results mean uh, or meant at that time, um, the threat of the new administration taking over and dismantling a lot of the systems and I guess like safety net that had been in place right. uh, and that had been created by previous presidents and previous administrations and also that sense of um, that we were moving more towards um, more equity uh, and more tolerant community with each other. Right. The overall. whole arc of justice. Exactly. Um, and I think after the, the, the results of the 2016 election, people were angry. People were upset of what was happening and what was coming. So I think especially because of, um, all the things that transpired during the campaign regarding, um, sexual assault and, um, the respecting women from candidates and so many other things that just completely unfolded. This was the first time that we had a uh, woman running for president. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just, opened a whole kind of worms of something that we had never experienced in our country. So I think all those things combined, all those ingredients combined, kind of like boiled into this women's march movement um, that I think it was uh, long overdue, in my opinion. Um, it started as, as a march and more and more cities throughout the country and I think throughout the world too. Mm -hmm. uh, there were quite a few other countries as well that joined the movement and came out to march in January of 20. 
17. And then after that, it was, it just continued growing and building mm-hmm. into this more of a movement, not just like one time thing. And so, and it is not only, it wasn't only to advocate and stand up for women's rights, but it also rights of other populations, minorities, um, people with disabilities, um, access to healthcare, climate change, immigration, education. So I think over the over the years has transformed and evolved into more of this a more progressive movement, mm-hmm. not, not necessarily just women's issues. Because when we talk about women's issues, actually women's issues are everyone's issues. Right. Uh, so it's not just focused on uh, women's rights. You know, women's rights are everyone's rights and human rights. So I think it has evolved into this more long-term movement, but it's originated from a one-time march that created that spark, I guess. So me personally, I had been involved with the Women's March in Phoenix since 2018. I was not part of the first one in 2017. I did attend with some of my friends, but I was not part of the planning committee. And then I got invited to participate, which we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, it's important as we think of, you know, how intersectional this movement is and continues to become, um, to name some of that discomfort. So there was originally, when we talk about, you know, the origins, the Women's March on Washington, there was controversy and rightly so about it, you know, being a movement for white women. So can you tell us a little bit about your role on the committee and then what kind of changes and efforts have been made around the work being done in Arizona so that it is more inclusive and intersectional? Yeah, of course. And, uh, you know, like you mentioned, I think the first year um, it was highly criticized because like you mentioned, it was more of a a movement of white women uh, and more like middle-class white women Mm -hmm. almost uh people who you know had luxury to be able to take the time to participate in this type of activities and without fear of retaliation from employers and you know other groups so i feel that in order to work on those on those issues that the original women's march um had the first year i feel that there was a big push for more inclusion and mm-hmm. um, the, I guess like the buzzword was um, intersectional feminism and mm-hmm. what that is and what it looks like. So one of the reasons why I got invited to participate in the, in the committee here in Phoenix is because um, the committee felt that they needed to have representation of more than one group, more than what, group of women in the community. Right. So they were trying to reach out to have the participation of black women and, and Latino women and also native American women to be as reflective as possible to the diversity of our state. Right. And not just in participation, but in leadership and in planning. Exactly. Yeah. And, and because of the a big component of the march was uh, the rally at the beginning where speakers were invited to talk about women's issues and progressive issues. We wanted to make sure that it was well represented, that it was just not one sided and that people at the leadership 
level of the movement were representative of the community that they, they were trying to advocate for. Right. Yeah. So some of the things that um, over the past, I think this year was my third year participating in the in the in the movement, the camp, the women's march committee. Some of the things that we have done is um, one year we did like contingent marches. So each one of us uh, we led a kind of like a separate march. We had the the Latinas and we have the Black Women's March and the Native American Women March as well. And they all brought their own speakers of who they felt was a true advocate in the community for for them. And then later on, then we came together with uh, the main march to you know, to start marching together. So it was more of a, a sense of creating that solidarity with with the bigger women's march, but making sure that all these individual groups are being represented. Um, and something that uh, we really tried to do is to make sure that Native American women were honored and that we were actually following their lead instead of us telling them what to do or, right. you know, us taking over a movement that was not necessarily ours. So the there was a big group of um, Native American advocates and healers and just community women who have been here for so many generations who are the guides pretty much from for the community. And so it was in a way of uh, to symbolize that they are leading the way and we are following mm-hmm. their steps. Um, they are, they were the ones who actually started the march. So like they were the ones at the front um, and they started walking and until they started walking, nobody else walked. So it was a, a good way of making sure that we send the message to everyone who was attending the event that Native American are, you know, leading the way we are in their territory. Right. And to be respectful and mm-hmm. centering that indigenous wisdom. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so over the years, it has it has changed leadership a little bit. We have brought in different people with different perspectives, different ideas. Um, but I think as of now, the committee, it's maybe like 90 percent women of color, mm-hmm. I believe, which is great because it's representative of the community here, the diverse community here in, in Arizona. But with any movement and any events and anything, it's we there's always room for improvement. There's always room for growth. Um, we try to make sure that the speakers that we invite are representative of the issues that affect the communities in, in every platform, um, not just women's issues, but like I mentioned, education, uh, climate change, immigration, um, hate crimes, right. um, so many, so many issues that, that the Women's March brings together. And speaking of, you know, thinking of the Women's March, not just happening by state, but also happening nationally, you know, there were some issues with, you know, folks making anti-Semitic comments. How was that kind of handled at a local level? So we were not necessarily a official chapter from the national. um, And we didn't really seek to become an official chapter from the national movement. And I I guess that kind of helped. It was an advantage for us because we were not spokesperson 
from that group in the national march. So we were able to, I guess, distance ourselves or separate ourselves as our local movement. And we, so any, any interview that we have with media um, and, you know, TV and radio and whatnot, we always make sure that we were letting them know, like we are a separate entity from the National Women's March, and we do not agree with the anti-Semitic statements and actions. So we we made it very clear that we were not supporting those statements and that we were doing our part here locally to make sure that none of that transpired to to our community. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then we see a lot of people, you know, this time of year, times around elections, you know, a lot of people are sharing posts, especially on social media, getting very excited. So how was this, you know, this is kind of a great example of how people get from social media to social action, but not all the time. It it doesn't always seem that easy or that clear. So how are some ways that people can get from kind of that exciting social media place um, to meaningful things that happen in our communities? Yeah, well, I think one of the main objectives of, of the whole uh, Women's March movement is to make people aware of what's happening in their communities. You know, it's it's great to attend the march and make signs and take pictures and post it on Instagram with a thousand hashtags mm-hmm. and you know, but that doesn't create change. What creates change is what you're doing at the local level, what you're doing in your communities, the conversations that you're having with the people around you, advocating in your neighborhoods, uh, in your local community. That's where the real change happens. Find out who is your city council, where they stand on issues um, that are important to you. What's your district? You know, are you registered to vote? Do you actively go out and vote? Yeah, there's lots of different ways to get involved locally, right? There's, Mm -hmm. you know, boards, commissions, what's happening like in Phoenix here, you know, we broke up Phoenix into different villages and there's the opportunities to serve there. Um, In Chicago, they have a similar system called the elders. How do you go to the elders? But if serving publicly isn't for you, looking to who is serving publicly, you know, are they supporting your values? Are they creating positive change? If there's not someone in that seat who's making that possible, how do you help get folks there? What does it look like to volunteer for an election campaign? What does it look like to, you know, Amelda and I created a caucus and serve on a board for that. You know, who runs and makes decisions about public hospitals, public schools, how land is used, who gets public housing and who doesn't, how much of it there even is. They're all decisions that have impacts locally. But a lot of times we kind of turn the spotlight on those national movements and, you know, the national presidency and those folks who serve at that very high level. But if there isn't land, if there isn't fresh food, if there isn't quality education in your area, yeah, is your community walkable? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and, you know, as, as social workers, we're always so busy and there are so many things that we're, we have on our to-do list um, from our families, um, the clients that we work with, um, our friends, our parents trying to keep everything balanced. So we know that it's not always feasible for people to go to their city council meetings or go to the school board meetings or, you know, being involved in all these things. But I think also a big part of just being behind the women's movement overall is um, calling out people on 
your everyday life. You know, when you see that uh, women are being disrespected, if you're sitting at a committee at work, let's say, you know, a committee at work and women's issues are being discussed and you see nobody else in that in that table or decision making level is uh, it's a woman, then ask those questions. You know, how come we're not asking the opinion of women in this issue that affects them? Um, so sometimes it's just having those conversations with people and calling them out sometimes it's I know it's hard and it's it starts that uncomfortable conversation but I feel like until we start disrupting those patterns and those I guess the stereotypes that we have in our in our community then we're not gonna make you know, uh, long lasting change. It's kind of like all the different commercials that we have seen that, uh, especially during the Super Bowl and all that, they say like, you know, dance like a girl and run like a girl. And, and now shifting it to making it something positive when before it was used, it was used to be something negative, you know, as a way of putting people down or making fun of people like, oh, you know, you're crying like a girl stopping and stopping our kids from saying things like that uh it starts it starts in their communities it starts in our homes right it and i mean it's everywhere and it's for for folks who have that power and that privilege to leverage it for a lot of women and for a lot of people it's not safe to openly discuss wages with employers and to say hey my black coworker is making less than i am can you help me understand a little bit about what's behind that, right? That night might not be something that she can do directly, but for those of us, especially a lot of social workers, there's a lot of us who are white ladies and a lot of us who have had access to higher education and how can we use our power and privilege to continue to build power for those around us who may experience the world very differently than we do and may experience our agencies very differently. So for your coworkers and for your clients, right? If you see clients being treated differently, again, using that power and that privilege, especially as we think of how agencies are designed and who they're designed for, to make sure that we're mindful and that we're leveraging what we can do in that arena. Mm-hmm. I think also another thing that's super important here is a lot of us, again, get really excited and want to get involved. And it ends up being usually an unintended consequence, sometimes an unconsciously ignorant consequence of joining and participating in movements is co-opting or, you know, trying to power build for yourself versus the folks who've been out there doing the work for, you know, goodness only knows how long women and particularly women of color have been building power and doing marches and talking about these issues for decades before there were white women out there with pink pussy hats. (laughs) Um, So as you're thinking about, you know, going to action and to get excited about these kind of issues to listen to and to center black women and frameworks that were developed by women of color as you're if you're looking to build a movement using those frameworks, using that indigenous wisdom to help make sure that you're centering folks that are most marginalized. But largely before creating anything, seeing what work is being done and listening, 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 observing where you're welcome and largely just asking when you find those movements, asking folks what help they need and to actually listen. If they say that they need money, if they say that they need paper plates, the movement isn't about you. It's not there to be co-opted by you. They made decisions just fine before you showed up to help. Mm -hmm. Um, So if they need someone to answer phones, provide childcare or pick up trash behind marchers, do that 
and do it without needing to steal the spotlight and without seeking praise. These folks are working hard. Often they're volunteering. These movements are frequently underfunded or unfunded. It's a lot of volunteer work. So showing up to kind of quote unquote help Mm -hmm. and then making people spend their emotional labor on making you feel really good and feel Mm -hmm. really important, get that from somewhere else um, rather than showing up to help. Yeah, it's funny that that. um, you mentioned that because year after year, um, right after the Women's March ends, um, we receive quite, quite a few requests from women who say, I want to be a speaker next year without asking, you know, what, what the platform is or how they go about nominating themselves or in just a very demanding way that they come to us. Like, I want to be a speaker next year. And sometimes we have to remind them like, that's, that's great, but we need help doing so many other things. We need help organizing the organizations that come and, and table at the event. We need help fundraising. We need help with logistics. Um, so there's so many other ways that, that people can get involved that don't necessarily mean going out there and, you know, being in the spotlight, yeah. right? Being in the spotlight. Yeah. Or, or, or wanting to put themselves at the center of the movement, but more like joining, joining what others have already started. I think right. that's a very um, humbling thing to do. And it's a lesson for all of us. I feel like it's as, as social workers, we have so many interests and so many things that we want to advocate for and things that we want to change in the world and systems that we want to build. But once we start doing a little bit of research, there are groups who are already doing it. Yep. And it's you, you don't have to do it yourself. You don't have to do it alone. That's that's the beauty of community, of joining movements that other people have started and making it easier, not just for them, but also making it easier for you to find a place where you fit in. Mm-hmm. And to hold that allyship and that solidarity as a sacred privilege, because it really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hopefully something we have said here today has provided a little bit of education or gotten you excited. As always, we'll put up some links to some of the things that we discussed today, some places where you can further unpack. If you have any questions, again, topics that you'd like us to talk about in the future, Amelda, where can you find us? You can find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Social Workers Break Room. And also you can buy our stuff. You can buy lots of stuff. You can buy wine glasses. You can buy coffee mugs. You can buy me a coffee. I'll give you my Venmo. That's fine. Get into my bank account. Steal my data. It's cool. We have, wait, we have, we have a... I know we have an email. We have an email. It is. And a website. Melda also has an apartment she'd like to invite you to. <laughs> you can contact us at our email, uh, which is info at socialworkersbreakroom.com. Um, Jennifer's making fun of me because I forgot what our email was. <laughs> you know what? Who uses e- email anymore these days? I do. I've sent Imelda 35 emails telling her <laughs> what a lovely person I think she is. And she so clearly appreciates them. I appreciate them. I think when, when we talk about, when we talk to our friends and our family, do you email your mom on a regular basis? Oh, no, no. Right. No. You text or call. I mean, even that's a stretch. I, I think I... <laughs> It depends on the dynamics, but yes, I think I I use email more for work and projects that I do, 
But I guess like on a personal basis, I never, it's very bright when I use email. So, yep. So in that case, slide into our DMs. Slide into the DMs. And I, I think that's the easiest way. But yes, we are on Instagram, Facebook, and our email, uh, Social Workers Break Room. And we are launching our website pretty soon with very cool merchandise. You yep. don't want to miss it? No, you don't. You want to buy stuff. Stay tuned. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to us and keep changing the world. Yeah. Do that thing. <laughs> Bye. So good. We lost ourselves there. <laughs> Lose what? Now we have B-roll. We got that B-roll. <laughs> <laughs>